Welcome to The Porch. I'm Lindsay Bacardo, keynote speaker and virtual presenter for organizations who want to build strong, multi-generational teams. I believe that the modern day leader has a moral obligation to grow personally and lead others from a grounded and healthy and healed place. You're going to hear me bring on psychologists, neuroscience experts, storytellers, emotional intelligence researchers, really anything that helps a leader grow personally and ultimately impact the culture of their organization. This is where I bring my favorite thought leaders on these topics to teach and mentor us through our own growth. I'm so glad you're here and welcome to The Porch. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. Dr. Joan Rosenberg is in the house with us. Hey, everyone. Thank you for coming. Yeah. <laughs> this is The Porch. We are not outside because it's 20 degrees, but this show is called The Porch, and this is where I bring my favorite thought leaders to talk about what matters most to them. And Dr. Joan Rosenberg, right now, open up your search engine Get make sure you get her book 90 Seconds to a Life You Love How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. If you read the first 30 pages, I'm telling you it'll change your life. And if you're like, Lindsay, I'm not a reader, I don't have time, fine. She has a TED Talk that has 1.7 million views. Just watch the TED Talk and start there. <laughs> Just I have Google an audio book too. <laughs> What's that? I said I have an audio book too. Yeah, if you need to listen to it, you've got so many options. And you know, the thing with Dr. Joan Rosenberg that's really interesting is that she is a thought leader in many people's worlds. I don't know if anybody knows who Ron Howard is. He's like, not a big deal. He's just a huge film director, producer, and actor. He has said about Joan that she is both a brilliant clinician and compassionate presence. Her book inspires and invites people to be authentic, to become their best and most fully expressed selves. It's a game changer for anyone ready to take their life relationship and career to the next level. Ron Howard. Wow. So she's, she is working with and interacting with people that influence us every day. And I think that's just wild. I feel so lucky to have her on the first time I met Dr. Joan Rosenberg, by the way, this is gonna be the longest introduction you ever have. Sorry, <laughs> but it's a page. The first time I met Dr. Joan Rosenberg, she was on stage with Bo Eason, who is a famous speaker, playwright, actor, past NFL player. And he put his arm around her on stage. We were in a public speaking training and he put his arm around her and he said, if you want to be a game changing public speaker, you need a therapist. And I traveled across the country. And that was the one thing that really stood out to me that I brought back because he had a really good point. We've got to, as leaders, and for me as a speaker, be able to process our emotions, even the uncomfortable ones, so that we can move forward and have courage and bravery in life. And so I feel like I have arrived because Dr. Joan Rosenberg is here with us. Thank you for taking some time. I cannot wait to ask you five pages worth of questions. <laughs> I'm all in. So let's go. <laughs> okay. I love it. Will you share with everybody I know in your book, you talk about this childhood experience, this young adult experience where you decided, okay, I'm probably going to end up going in this direction. Can you share everybody just this one story that kind of kicked it off for you? Well, the, if you, I'm not sure which one story you're talking about, but, but there's a, I was actually a very shy and introverted and sensitive young child. And 
and I did not feel like I fit in. I didn't feel like I belonged. And, you know, and that stretched over a long period of time. So I wish I could say it was just early childhood, but it really, mm-hmm. I was bullied throughout most of my childhood and, and, and certainly through my adolescence. Uh, vestiges is later in adult life too, but it's a whole different experience as a young child. Mm-hmm. And I would look over at my peers and, you know, just kind of stare over at them and go see them all in a group and all hanging out and laughing and having a great time. And it was like, that was not my experience. And it was like, mm-hmm. so it was like, what does it take to do that? And confidence was the word that was in my head. So it's mm-hmm. like, well, then how does one develop confidence? And that's sort of where it all started. Yes. Uh, and so the big, big question for me as I grew up was how does one develop confidence? Cause surely I did not have it. And, uh, and wow. it wasn't, gonna ha- it wasn't going to go happen by standing next to them and through osmosis. It just, just doesn't work that way. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that, so that didn't happen. And then when I got into my professional life, uh, as a psychologist, uh, a second question kind of emerged, and that was what made it so difficult to deal with unpleasant feelings. So as much as our thinking can mess us up, and it, and it does, um, yeah. I, found, I found one's difficulty dealing with unpleasant feelings, I think, is, creates even more problems. And, and mm-hmm. so the second question was, well, then, how, you know, what makes that so hard for people? And it turns out that the answer to that question Um, becomes the foundational answer for me to the experience of confidence. So the two questions actually were quite related. Yes. It's incredible to think about just how aware you were at a young age, that this was something that you wanted to conquer and understand. And now it's a gift for thousands of people. I think that is just such a beautiful story coming full circle. What would you say, because, you know, in the business world, sometimes people say, I'm not a feeler, I'm a logical person, I'm not an emotional person. What would you say when people kind of jump in that camp and think that that's true of them? Um, well, I, I know it's not true. <laughs> so, okay. so, so that's, I mean, it, it's as easy as that. It, it doesn't matter how logical you are. It's feelings that actually allow us to have an experience of aliveness. And and mm-hmm. so so to just to just be in a logical place, all that says to me is that you don't really want to deal with your feelings. So, <laughs> so, so you can be, you can be really logical. Um, and I know that you're filled with feelings that you'd rather not feel. So that that's, that's what goes on in the background in my head. It's like, Oh, okay. Got it. Um, mm-hmm. So, so that I just, it's just a signal for me in terms of where someone is in that regard. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Now what about this year? Because Um, It's been a wild year. And I think, you know, I think about in your book, this idea, I wonder if a lot of people are feeling kind of ripped open because this concept that you talk about is non-conscious vulnerability. Yes. Every day we're walking around hearing news about the pandemic, hearing how dangerous it is, hearing it might kill you or your family members. And every day we're just getting pricked with our mortality over and over and over again. Right, right. Right. How are we supposed to move through that and stay grounded? Well, I think the first thing is for people to understand what I mean by non-conscious vulnerability, mm-hmm. so, uh, because I because that'll that'll kind of open the response to that. The so when I when I think about it, I think about vulnerability in two different ways. And vulnerability, think of in general as vulnerability is the sense that you could be hurt. 
Mm-hmm. And it's actually the sense at a, at a thinking level, at a, an emotional level, and also at a physical level. Mm-hmm. So it actually cuts across all three levels of our functioning. And that, um, or you can think of a different kind of vulnerability as I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay open to the possibility that I could be hurt. Mm-hmm. So you doing a podcast, me doing an interview, we're choosing into vulnerability. Yeah. Right? So there's different kinds of vulnerability. Now, now we all of us have a built-in sensing mechanism um, as part of our beingness that senses safety, danger, and life threat. Um, Stephen mm-hmm. Porges called this neuroception. That's the word that he put he puts to it. And I like to consider this idea of neuroception as non-conscious vulnerability. It's this, mm-hmm. and, and so we have this built-in mechanism for sensing, if you will, mm-hmm. our vulnerability, to, particularly to danger and life threat. And the, the truth of the matter is that most people in life go through life trying not to be aware of that non-conscious vulnerability. <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to think about it. Like when you're going to get on an airplane or something. That's right. That's exactly right. So March 13th, or the March rolls around and the pandemic is full force. It's now in front of everybody. People are dying in unexplained ways. Mm -hmm. There's not much known. And so we have, and for me, um, the truth is, is that we have, Lindsay, is that we have like five different things going on at one time. Mm. We have, we have, not only do we have the, the coronavirus and, and, and kind of what really happens, who gets affected, who get, and who's going to be affected and hurt and who's not, right? So mm-hmm. we have the, the COVID-19, we have the economic downturn that follows right alongside of that. So that's not separate, it's right simultaneous. Yeah. Then we, then we have social unrest, we have political instability, and we have climate instability. So, so we've got these five major influences at the minimum that are all at play. And all of a sudden people are going, I'm anxious. Well, no, you're actually not anxious. You're actually in touch with your vulnerability, but you don't have the words for it. Well said. And, and so that what I would describe this time as is, is a period of profound loss and grief and a period of heightened vulnerability. And, and, the, and the key is to now the shift, if people can make this, because it's not enough to just feel our vulnerability and not even have words for it. Right. right? So most people are calling it anxiety. In my head, it's vulnerability. No, you're vulnerable. And what's happened is that not only are you sensing your vulnerability, now you have a greater awareness of your own vulnerability, but you're actually not even at that level of thinking about it. Am I you're not even sense? aware that that, yes, you haven't been able to put those pieces together yet. Right. Yes. So that, so that part of the way I've tried to explain it to people is that you not only have that sense of, of feeling and being vulnerable, but in the best of circumstances, you've, you're actually aware that is what you are experiencing. And if you can take it one step further, in terms of having awareness of your awareness, yes, it actually helps you choose into life in a different way. Because then you may, and, and my, my thinking is, if the people can maintain a low level, 10 to 15%, somewhere in that neighborhood 
uh, that level of awareness of one's own vulnerability, then you choose to do things in life that are more meaningful to you. Yes. If that stays that too sense. big, then you, then you don't feel like you can handle life at all. Um, but, but if you can keep it at that low level, then you go, all right, then let me choose into the things that are meaningful and purposeful to me. And now, now you're using that love, that kind of vulnerability to actually um, develop a, a richness to your life that, that might not have been there before. That is really interesting. I wonder, I would love to hear what people think about that in the chat, because it makes a ton of sense. If you've known somebody, we probably all know somebody who's you know, survived a, a scary accident or something that where they walked to the edge of death and came back, yep. they're never the same because they live with that 15%. Right. Right. Yeah. That's right. very interesting. I know um, one thing that <laughs> my family thinks is odd is that I think about dying. I talk about dying like once a week and they, they're like, what is your deal? You're such a, I tend to be more fun and lighthearted. And then I'm all of a sudden I'm like, yep. This could be the day, better make the most of it, but there, I'm being silly, but there is that element of keeping a low level of awareness of our true, I mean, human vulnerability. Our lives are right. fragile. Right, right, yep. That's fascinating. And the other thing that you mentioned, I would love to talk a little bit about is this idea of anxiety, because mm -hmm. we tend to say, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, but then we don't always get heard and get down to the core of what's really happening. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, anxiety, I mean, the, the, for me, the funny thing is, yes, anxiety exists. I will never tell you that it doesn't exist. But in my world, I, I just like totally reframe it and kind of recast it. So um, it's, and it's probably easier if I walk through the fear to anxiety piece, if, that, if mm -hmm. that's okay. Yeah, please. Um, so, because most people will use the, so the, 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 the key thing to start to be aware of here is that, is that in at least in my world that the words fear and anxiety are both misused and mm -hmm. overused. Mm -hmm. So so that if we think of fear as uh, the way psychology kind of defines it, it's danger in the moment right now. A lion's chasing me. A lot, yeah. Yes. Or you're walking down a back alley and somebody you hear some sounds and you're you're in genuine fear. Yeah. Right. So whatever it is. Um, and, but it's in that regard. So if you say, I fear speaking up in class, or I fear um, doing a speech, or I, whatever it is that you say that you fear where there's actually no danger in the moment right now, then you're mm -hmm. activating a state that you don't need to activate within yourself. Words have vibration and meaning to them. And so my thing is stop using the words that actually don't fit. If you're yes. in genuine fear, use the word fear. Any other time, stop using the word. So the next most logical one that somebody will shift to is to anxiety. Well, I feel anxious or I have anxiety or whatever, however it gets yep. stated for somebody. And what's anxiety? Anxiety from psychology standpoint, again, is it's a diffuse concern or diffuse apprehension that, um, that something bad, it's some bad events are gonna occur in the future. Okay, makes sense, anxiety sort of fits. Yeah. Except, except if I talk to 10 different people, I will get eight to 10 different answers for what anxiety means to them. And so as a, as a clinician, it's of no use to me because I have no clue what the person means. 
Mm-hmm. And so, so what I do is I, and I talk about the, the central premise of my book is centered around eight unpleasant feelings. So what I do is I, I ask them to use one or more of the eight and, and vulnerability would be the first one that, that would be make the most sense. Yeah. So, so then it's from fear to anxiety to vulnerability. And if it's not vulnerability, I will guarantee you that someone is experiencing one or more of the other seven feelings. Yes. And what happens when somebody's able to say, okay, it's not really anxiety, it's grief, it's sadness, it's this, what, what, do we, what do we get from that if we can get to the real word? You get to clarity, you get to uh, a sense of calm, and you get to a sense of inner peace. Mm-hmm. Even, even if the feeling is unpleasant, that clarity brings a sense of calm and inner peace. You feel more comfortable in your own skin. Do you, do you think that when we label things, you, you did mention this in your book that even your amygdala is able to go out of emotion mode. It's got a label, it's got a word. So now you're going back to your thinking brain. And, the, and, and you can use your thinking at times to, um, to uh, better emotionally regulate, to, to self-regulate emotionally better. So, so putting the, putting the more accurate words to your experience or the most accurate words to your experience makes a big difference in terms of how you are able to manage your own internal state. So it is really, it's not, it's not silly as an adult to, to really process, am I feeling anger? Am I embarrassed? Am I frustrated? That really is our job to be able to label that and have more confidence because then we can accept it and move through that. Absolutely. It makes a huge difference. And, and it is, it's a, it's a, what I will watch anytime I am able to accurately reflect an, a, a feeling experience back to someone, <clears throat> I'll immediately, and I, again, I, it's probably measurable. I haven't measured it yet, but my experience is, it's like, I watch their nervous system, just like calm right down. I just say, yeah. Whew, yeah. 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 That is that's wild. Centered, grounded, more calm, a greater sense of inner peace, all those things. Yep. I greater sense totally of self-understanding. Do you think that, and you mentioned this in the book, uh, I like to study generations. I'm curious, do you see anything shifting between maybe boomers that come to your office and then Gen Xers and then millennials and then the, the young Gen Zs? Do you see anything changing because of the way they were parented? Or do you have any thoughts about that? <laughs> uh, yes, when parents don't teach frustration tolerance, it's not good for kids. What do you mean, Joan? <laughs> <laughs> right? So, yeah. I, Make your I, kids I, uncomfortable. Don't fix yeah. it for them all the time. Exactly. Exactly. If, if I don't, if I, uh, where, where children have not learned how to handle disappointment in life. Yeah. I often see those people in my office. Doesn't matter what age they are. And that may, oh man, that sends me down. I have so many questions about that. Do you think that when they come to your office, what's the, what's the tipping point that sends them? They're not, they're not getting where they want to go in life. They're just constantly frustrated. What do you think? I mean, again, it's a wide range of things. Um, I just got off the phone earlier with somebody who is probably in her early forties mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> just has stuff, a lot of stuff going on that's still coming through from her past. 
and yep. it was and, and it was a legitimately difficult past yeah uh, and and that it's affected how she's parenting a child and it's affecting her relationship with her husband and it's also affecting her relationship with herself so it's um so all those things are at play um but you know again part of it is in this case it's it's pushing back against the um the damaging vestiges of a, a difficult childhood um that 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 that's the kind of the grounding but it's it, there's there's absolutely a way to come out of that and and or so it's it shows up in all sorts of different ways i mean that's just one example sure um, well it sounds like there is that piece where if we don't fix it for ourselves we do pass that on if we don't learn it so can we talk a little bit about reparenting and like the Rosenberg reset? Can we talk about how we can do that for ourselves, even if we didn't learn it when we were young? Yeah. Well, the the Rosenberg reset, and I and I I I shouldn't have I shouldn't have to go here, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's, I mean, I, it's, I think it's my own kind of a little bit of embarrassment about the naming it after myself, but I didn't do that. A colleague. You didn't did. do that, everybody. A colleague did it. Do it or colleagues did. And in fact, one of Bo's friends did it. So um, even better. That's yeah, great. So, um, anyway, the so the the thing is to understand that that my my again, if we go back to my big question or my second big question, it was what made it so difficult for people to deal with unpleasant feelings. Mm -hmm. And and as I went along over time, the the good fortune, uh, right time, right place. Uh, was that the neuroscience research was starting to come out and uh, and started mm -hmm. to flourish actually, and and this was we're talking about the late 1990s and into the early 2000s, and yeah. there were so that there were three big elements that came that came out of that and well let me I'm going to get ahead of myself, so there's a the, there's the big question, what makes what makes it so hard for us to deal with unpleasant feelings. Yeah, and um, and then I kind of as I went through the neuroscience research, I ended up kind of coming up more or less with a formula. Uh, so the formula, the Rosenberg reset, if you will, is one choice, eight feelings, ninety seconds. And the one choice has to do with awareness as opposed to avoidance. Mm -hmm. uh, when we when we try not to know what we know, we're Gee, into you don't have anything to distract us right now, and yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Just to numb out. Yeah, right. So, and then, and then trying not to know what we know can occur all sorts of ways. So whether it's social yeah. media or the phone or it's food or it's alcohol or other substances or it's shopping or it's pornography or it's sex or it's the list goes or having feelings about having feelings. Mm -hmm. Those are all distractions. It's all avoidance. And I think I named like 35 different ways you can avoid in the book. There's a good um, list and I'm sure you yeah. all, we all do some of them. <laughs> there, there is a good list. So, and that, that was called from decades of work. So, yes. uh, so the, uh, there's not a whole lot that's left out of that. The, so the one choice that I want people to make is to choose into awareness. So what does awareness mean? It's being as aware of and in touch with as much of your moment to moment experience as possible. So it's awareness, not avoidance. The second part of it is eight feelings. And what I found is that people struggled over and over with roughly eight feelings. So the eight feelings are sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. Biggest question, why these eight? 
because these eight are the most common everyday spontaneous reactions, feeling reactions to things not turning out the way either we perceive we need or the way we want. Mm-hmm. So it's the, it's the everydayness of the feeling. So stop, you can stop and think about how many times you have felt any one or more of those feelings throughout a given day or a given week or a given month, right? So it's yep. just, they're very common reactions. And, and, then the, and then the 90 seconds yeah. piece, what's that? I was going to say, these feel different in your body too. Yes. Yeah. Embarrassment feels very different than frustration. Absolutely. Sadness. Right. Right. For, for most people, not for everybody, but for most sure. people. Yep. So, so the, the third part of it then was the, so those, the, the, and again, the, the key of the book is centered around the eight feelings, but the 90 seconds piece is the, really the reference overall to the method of leaning into unpleasant feelings. Mm-hmm. And so, so this is where the neuroscience research really fully came into play. So the first thing is to understand we're one interconnected whole. We're not a body you know, and a, a brain that's separated from our body. We're one interconnected whole. So think body-mind or mind-body, however you want yep. to express it. One interconnected whole. And that most of us come to know what we feel emotionally through bodily sensation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So think embarrassment. If we use your example of embarrassment, um, someone is going to see the redness either at your chest, neck, and into your face. But you experiencing embarrassment will probably experience the heat, if you will. Oh gosh, yeah. Of of the embarrassment of the flushing. Yeah. Right. So so what is that flushing? Well, it's actually biochemicals. So that are run that are coursing through your bloodstream. So yes. the third part of it. So we've now we've got okay. Most of us come to know what we're feeling through bodily sensation. Which, by the way, is what I think people find very uncomfortable. It's not that we don't want to feel the whole range of what we feel. It's that we don't want to feel the bodily sensations Mm -hmm. that help us know what we feel emotionally. Yeah, they're uncomfortable. Yeah. uh, Right. For for most people. And and so the the third part of it then is the 90 seconds piece. And it was Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor that said it in her book, My Stroke of Insight. I just happened to synthesize it with the the rest of what I was doing. And she says that when a feeling fires off or when a feeling gets triggered, there's a rush of biochemicals into the bloodstream that activate those bodily sensations I was talking about. And And those same biochemicals flush out of the bloodstream in roughly 90 seconds. So any given feeling is transient. It's so, so what I like to say to people is if you can ride one or more bodily sensation waves. It's not just one wave, it's one or more bodily sensation waves of one or more of eight unpleasant feelings. Then you can pursue anything you want in life. And the key for leaning into the feeling itself has to do with riding like an ocean wave, riding um, these short lived bodily sensation waves. Isn't that wild that that's what stops us is 90 seconds knowing I may be embarrassed or disappointed. So I don't go, I don't stretch myself. I don't do that thing, whatever that thing is for us. That's what stops us. Yep. Yep. If we can build a tolerance to that and an acceptance that this is part of life's experiences, you really, do you really, really think you can do anything if you're able to move through that? 
Well, my, yes, absolutely. Because uh, I mean, again, obviously within, I mean, I'm not going to go be an opera singer, right? <laughs> I'm so, doing NASA. This is my chance to go to the moon. I mean, but I, but I could pursue singing, right? Yes. But I mean, I, at this point in my life, it's probably not opera singer. Even if I went after, I could still go after it. Sure. So, so my thinking around this, Lindsay, is that it's not, it's not the risk that people are afraid of. It's the emotional outcome, the undesired emotional oh. outcome of the risk that people don't want to deal with. Yeah. So it's not. So that's the thing that stops them. It's not the thing that they have to do. It's the it's the anticipation of having to deal with one or more of those eight unpleasant feelings that prevent people from taking the risk. So whether it's doing a podcast, whether it's doing an interview, whether it's doing writing, whether it's I don't care what it is, going and playing tennis. Yeah. Right? So do I believe that people can pursue whatever they want in life? Yes, I really do. Because if they know that they can handle the emotional outcome before they even start the thing, then they already know that that's what's going to happen as they go on that journey. Oh, and that that's what you, real confidence is. Yes. Knowing I can, I can really handle myself through this experience. Yes. And, and I don't even, what's that? No, and, and all we're doing is talking about eight unpleasant feelings. Yeah. We should do a camp where we make people feel all these horrible things. <laughs> I guess that's just life. Honestly, 2020 is your camp. Just you've had it happen. Yeah. We're already in camp. Yeah. If there was ever a time to learn these eight unpleasant feelings and to get comfortable with them, it's now. Yes. You no. Know, yeah. When I first read your book, I knew, obviously you have the science in there, but anybody that has kids knows how human beings work. Yep. Because whenever one of my kids has experienced any of those eight unpleasant feelings, I used to, I kind of became a parent overnight. And I used to think like, just logically help them walk through it. You're not actually helpless. Your book bag's right there. Just go pick it up. And I would go like logic and recognizing like, I need to be cool for 90 seconds. All I have to do is say, can I stand here with you while we while you feel this, or can I sit with you while you, you know, you feel this and their response used to be when I was too logical, it was like, Oh, come on. And now it's sure you can come sit with me. And then a little hand comes out and wants their hand to be held. And then truly a minute and a half, two minutes later, we're through it. Yep. And to watch it in a kid, I'm, it's happening in my life too, obviously, but to really watch this pan out yep. is remarkable. It's, yeah. it really is. Yeah. And what you're teaching, what, again, what you want to do at some point is also then make, uh, make explicit, make more clear to the child what he or she is doing mm -hmm. so that they then have that as a skill going forward. It's just staying, it's helping them stay present to the feeling and tolerating it and giving a name to it. So, yeah. you know, and the, the key here, Lindsay, is always think right hemisphere to right hemisphere, left hemisphere to left hemisphere. The, so what do I what do I mean by that? The the right hemisphere really for most people is kind of where people were uh, grossly we would describe that's where the hemisphere that holds emotion and experience. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody's upset, then it's right hemisphere to right hemisphere. So you respond to emotion with emotion. That and you yeah. don't try to respond to emotion with logic. Yeah, it doesn't go well. No, exactly as you just <laughs> described, right? It doesn't go well. So yeah, when the then when the child is through the emotion, then you respond with the left hemisphere, then you respond with logic.
then you, Brilliant. Then, I feel like then, you, then you can do reason, but you, but the, what it's feelings first followed by the, the, um, the reasoning and the logic. So it doesn't go the other direction. This is, I think we, every company, we can bring this to company. You are bringing this work to companies, <laughs> but I'm like, us grownups need this too. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I, I would love to be doing more consulting. So uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Do you think what would be, obviously we've been, I've been reading a lot of articles about burnout, burnout prevention, because this year has been so difficult. Do you have any advice that you could give? I know we have some business leaders on this call, do you have advice and how they can help their team walk through this year or finish this year? Well, again, what I would come back to, I don't think of, I, I don't, again, I don't think of burnout in similar ways to other people. I think of it is, um, is unresolved grief mostly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so it it's, or, or unresolved feelings, but they're mostly the feelings of grief. The, uh, so the, it, it's just, it's really, it's just understanding that the, as I said earlier, that this year is a profound, a year of profound loss and grief. So mm -hmm. the more you can help somebody stay present to, to dealing with feelings of sadness, helplessness, anger, and disappointment in particular, the better they'll be able to handle whatever's going on. Um, and, you know, and other, other things have to do with attitudes towards change and sure. our ability to be resilient in the face of change. So there's, you know, there's a lot of different things that are tied to that as well. Mm -hmm. It's a complex time to not have a psychologist in your company. It's a complex time to know how to support people. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I found and, and again, described very early on is that part of what ends up happening when people are also in this kind of shelter mode, which, mm -hmm. you know, in, Calif in California, we're back at it. Um, and, oh, and, yeah. so, but, and part of what happens is that when, people are sheltered in place, if you will, to use that language, then we're more still. Mm -hmm. And when, we're, when, when we are more still and don't have the, all the variety of distractions we have available to us on a day-to-day -day basis, then, then and we're more still and quiet, more stuff is gonna surface. Mm -hmm. so, things, so things that didn't get resolved, issues or concerns or memories or experiences or what have you that didn't get resolved from before have a greater opportunity to surface because we're quiet and and it's complicated even more from my perspective because i think that loss begets loss meaning yeah. that that um when so we have this all these profound losses that i started to talk about at the beginning mm -hmm. right and and that that loss, I think, faster than any other experience in our life, brings up memories of prior loss. So That's now we've got. Cool. So now we've got all of that complicated by massive change. Complicated, complicated by kids at home when they're usually someplace else. Yep. Complicated by not being in your place of work and in your routine, and and just like layer upon layer of changes and new demands. So it's just, a, it's a very complex experience. There, there are so many layers, you're right. And when they compound, you said this, you said this phrase, emotions will not be ignored forever. They don't, uh, they don't just die off if you ignore them. They're not a house plant. No, exactly. No, they don't at all. No, yeah. they, they live within us. 
Is there anything that we can do if we can't have a one-to-one time with you? What can we do? Would you suggest like journaling, meditating? I know there's the classics. Is there something that you think is working well for people this year? Yeah, well, I, I, speaking of which, I will. My uh, intention is to have two courses out in January. Awesome. So, so um, the people will be able to take, I think, a self-guided tour through some of the material, and I'll add in stuff that's not in the book. And then I'll, I think I'm going to do a, a six-month uh, course that'll, that'll actually have me on the line and talking through stuff on a weekly basis. Um, so I, I, so the, yes. my intention is to have both of those happen in January. Um, so, which would allow people to have access to me. Yes. Um, the, the, but my big thing is that this is a, again, a period where we're asked to be, um, and I, I like to use the word physically distant, um, no, no, socially connected, physically distant. And it's not, we're not talking about social distance. This has nothing to do with social distance. Right. Physical distance. Yeah, that right. term, I think, kind of set us all off. Like you said earlier, words have energy and power. Yes. So, so the, I think it was, uh, the, it was misnamed. Yep. And, and it, because my thing is I want it, the, in terms of safety around the virus, it's physical distance. Mm-hmm. Except I want people to stay socially connected. So what can make a big difference? Social connection. I don't, yes. care if you, I don't care if you're in your home, get on. I'd rather not text. I mean, I, I text is okay. Email yes. is okay. I would yeah. rather have you engaged um, either on some kind of Zoom or a FaceTime call or, or to have you engage or Skype or, yep. or engaged on the phone. So the, my thing is emphasizing social connection is a super important element of, of staying well. And yes. of the other pieces, again, this is a, this is a time of, uh, it's an opportunity for great reflection. So yes, journaling, uh, but in addition to journaling, it would be also making sure that people stay very well connected to people, that friends and family and or some kind of other community that they gain support from. That's could so be, smart. It could, because... could be faith-based community for that matter. Sure, yeah. That's so smart that you bring that up because we really did. I know I got in that funk of, well, if I can't see people and I'm socially distancing, I guess I'm like living alone in this office for the next year. And that's dangerous. We're very social creatures. That is not humane. Right. Right. So, and and it's been particularly difficult for extroverts. Yes. So, uh, because extroverts get some of their energy from being actually out and being social. So my thing is absolutely the most important thing to do is stay well connected. Um, take time to be reflective mm-hmm. and, and use what you can learn from this time and make sure you're staying socially connected to others. I, I think, I don't know why I didn't expect you to say that, but I think that's really, that probably just shows how much it's gone off of all of our radar. It's easy to you know, think of other things. I'm curious if anybody has a question, we've just got a couple minutes left. So if you have a question, this is the time to ask. I've gotten through three of my five pages of questions. I have another 15 or 20 minutes. So that's up oh, to you. Great. Okay. okay. Um, okay. Megan asks, what are ways in which you can 
choose into things that matter to you. And I'm not sure. And I'm not sure I understand the question. I don't understand the question either. So we'll skip that one. But Megan, give us some more clarity. If anybody else has a question. <laughs> I can just ask you. Please. Hi. Um, so I, you said, I wrote it down as you were speaking at the way beginning. So I'm sorry if I, I wrote it in a way that you didn't actually say it. Um, but you said something like, when met with adversity, choose into, and maybe you said it differently and that's why you guys are confused. <laughs> so I'm, I'm that's sorry, okay. but you said something about, um, focusing on things that matter to you. And I wondered what are some specific, um, areas that you have chosen or ways that you manage your time in these sorts of situations? Are you talking about me, about me personally? Sure. Yeah. I mean, or, or are you asking the question for how you can choose into it? Uh, well, it, maybe both. Sneaky sneaks. I, I don't have a lot of fun. I'm like, how do people choose into things that matter to them? I what? feel like, um, I, I sort of feel like I'm in survival mode a lot. I'm a parent of a very young child. And right. then working from home, he's been pulled out of daycare for the year. Right. And so that was intriguing to me to figure out, um, and, and you said that you don't do these coping mechanisms, which I am doing, which is online shopping and social media. No, yeah, <laughs> so what are the ways that you're choosing things that matter to you? I, or I don't, I, I don't even have a TV. So there, <laughs> um, well, what do you do with your time? I, know. <laughs> um, I, I read, right. Or, or part of what I'm doing is I'm staying engaged with other people. So it's okay. not, I'm, I'm committing to the things that I'm, talk, I'm talking about. So things that I wouldn't normally do, you know, at, and I, I, when I first started to, the COVID stuff first started, uh, I was, it, you know, my thing is that I think I wrote down at least 10 different areas that you could engage in. So part of it is I've got, for that matter, I've got um, things I want to get rid of and clear out. So it's a time, it's a time to clear that stuff out. So it's a time to learn a new skill. Yeah. If there's, there's, there's lots of different areas. If you stopped and, and took a little bit of time for reflection, then, then it would be what, what's important to me. If, if we're going to be like this, let's say for another four months at a minimum, yeah, let's say that yeah. for a minimum. Four That's optimistic. Months. I like how you're thinking. <laughs> so, so four to, let's, let's look at it at least four to six months out. Right. Then, then, then what I would say is, Stop and think about what you would like to do different and who you would like to become in these next four to six months. Mm. And, and, and so, uh, you know, one of the questions that, that I've used throughout the whole time is how can I use this time to bring out the best in me? Right. Or how can I use this experience and turn it into a, a learning experience? How can I take every life experience and turn it into a learning experience? Mm-hmm. So, so those are, those are questions you can use when you're in difficult times and, and that may help you get clear on what you'd like to choose into. Does that help? Thank you. Okay, good. I think that's great. You know, this piece I'm hearing you say, you know, you still get a lot of control over your life. You still have a lot of control over how you can focus your time and your energy and you can still get things that you want in a sense. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, and if I talk about the way I'm using my time, one of the things I'm using my time for 
is to build out a course that I have known to build out for years. Um, but but now there's a little bit more time available, sort of, there's a little bit more time available. <laughs> and so and so well, that's one of the things, that's how I'm using it. So mm -hmm. different set of skills, it's a it's a whole different approach, but it's um, it's something that I also know will serve over time. Yeah, I think that's, I wanna read, I'm gonna just keep reading your book with you on the okay. phone. <laughs> this is Please. one of my favorite quotes that ties back to this. An appreciable degree of your sense of well-being is tied to what you think, the actual content of your thoughts. Take a moment. If we were to look at the content of your thoughts, what would we find? Would the greatest percentage of them be positive, optimistic, and accepting? Or would we find negative, pessimistic, and cynical thoughts? Are they thoughts that are they thoughts that suggest calm and contentment, or rather anger, disappointment, and anxiety? And that's an everyday, I have found that to be every day when I get up in the morning, which mm -hmm. way are we going? If I had a tape recorder playing in my brain, what would we find at the end of the day? Right. right. How do we build that muscle so that we get to live in a pleasant world in our head? And we're well, I, I mean, up? that, that, that takes me down the route of the, probably there's, there's a, uh, probably 10 or 12 super important points in the book. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, I think the book is very useful overall. I know what I put into it, but there are probably, like I said, 10 to a dozen different concepts that are ultra important. And you're taking us down the right route of um, harsh self-criticism. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that is one of the most damaging things that people can do to themselves. Mm -hmm. So maintaining a pessimistic attitude or harsh self-talk um, is ultra damaging, and mm -hmm. the but the the first the first place we have to start is awareness, and and so yes. that, that, awareness is what leads us to change in any direction. So it's always about choosing into awareness first. Mm -hmm. Again, that's the that's the one choice, right? And and when you do that, and you start to catch yourself in those pessimistic, negative self-talk or any of those kinds of things, it's, it's literally kind of putting up a stop sign or your version of whatever that stop sign would be for you. And that you, you start a practice of, of either of reflecting on what's taking place. Because in my world, harsh self-criticism is a distraction from the eight unpleasant feelings. That's all it is. Oh, isn't that interesting? It's a distraction. Harsh self-criticism is a distraction from the eight unpleasant feeling. That is wild to think about. So if I'm sad, instead of me taking no, that can, time. No, you can be sad. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. And then I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why am I like this? Not okay. And then now we're on a whole nother round. We're and, not actually and, able to And they're not equivalent. So as soon as you get to like, what the heck's wrong with me? Now you've just sunk yourself. There's no, so, so bad, bad or unpleasant feelings. And I don't use, I don't use the word bad or negative to describe right. unpleasant feelings. So unpleasant feelings and harsh self-criticism are not equal. It's like this, except, it, except this one just keeps going down. I mean, you can bury yourself pretty deep with well i actually speaking of bearing i actually think that 
harsh self-criticism is a big piece of what leads to suicidality. Not unpleasant feelings. Harsh self-criticism. Wow. So yes. the, queen of, the queen of mic drops. Thank you, Amber. Exactly. <laughs> Just ordered. <laughs> so <laughs> order it for your friends. <laughs> yes. The paperback comes out on the 29th. <laughs> so, yes. Um, yeah. Um, the, the, uh, no, that's so, so harsh self-criticism is only, is a distraction. That's all it is. Let me, let me give, let me give you an example of this. Um, I was, I was doing an interview. The, I could hear the person on the other end. He could not hear me. Two or three minutes go by and he's crawling underneath the table, trying to figure out which cord goes where, Right. You can, you got the picture. Oh, it's a nightmare. Yeah. And, and so, but I'm chilling two or three minutes go by and, and I hear come out of his mouth. I'm so embarrassed, except without missing a beat. The next two sentences were, I'm such an idiot. I'm so stupid. There is the distraction. It's a thought hijack of the unpleasant feelings. Intrigue. That's how quickly it happens. And, I, and, I, and if there's anything I insist on, one of the first things I work with people is to stop the trash in the head. Mm -hmm. You've got to stop harsh self-criticism. In its tracks, redirect, get it back to the unpleasant feelings and figure out what those unpleasant feelings are attached to. And then ride the waves. I mean, that will truly revolutionize our lives. Absolutely, absolutely. Can you, everybody's freaking out in the chat. <laughs> okay, so can you talk, what about, what about, how could we, say we totally blew 2020 and we're in December and we're like, you know what? I'm just gonna like screw December and come back in 2021. How, what, what could we say to ourselves? What could we do obviously to watch our criticism? What would you say to somebody to help them start to shift and not waste three more weeks you know, because we all but, have this well, rhetoric around 2020. Here, here's the thing, Lindsay. The moment you hear what I say, what I just said, is the moment you can stop it. Awareness. So, so now everybody, every whoever's on the line hearing it, right? Um, yeah. That that it, it, there's no there's no reason for you to continue it going from this moment forward because now you have the awareness that when you engage in harsh self-criticism, it's a thought hijack and a distraction from eight unpleasant feelings. Change it, catch yourself, in the, catch, catch yourself in the act, stop yourself and go, I'm not going down that road. Ask yourself, go in reverse, ask yourself, what triggered this? What mm -hmm. am I feeling really? Which of the eight am I feeling really and what triggered it? And what do I need to learn from this? And sit in that uncomfortable that's just, spot. That's right. That's not gonna, it's not gonna take very long. A minute and a half. At best. You know, maybe you'll have to, maybe there's some big event that happened or whatever, and you'll have to spend mm -hmm. longer time thinking about it. Fine, great, then do that. Yes but stop the harsh self-criticism. It's, 
as, as much as speaking up is singularly the most important thing that I think people can do to feel better about themselves, harsh self-criticism is the one thing that has to stop because of the damage it's, that it does to people. I talk about it, if people are familiar with the way a Richter scale for earthquakes work. Yeah. When any, any change in a decimal point is, is not a change in it is not one tenth, it's 10 times. It's exponential. It's exponential. So yeah. think, think that when you use harsh self-criticism, it's the Richter scale of damage that you're doing to yourself. It's exponentially damaging. Not equivalent, it's exponentially damaging. I think everybody's going to walk off this call and just kind of stare off into space for a minute and think about all, all that you said. This is so powerful. If there was, I mean... You are the person for 2020, and I'm so glad that you're going to be doing some courses and that you already have a book that people go grab it. You will read through it quickly. There's a ton of exercises in there, too, that will help bring self-awareness even more so um, to you. And so it's really powerful. You can grab on Amazon. And will you put uh, Dr. Joan Rosenberg's link up, Sam? And you can also get it through her website. She has plenty of ways that you can order it. I am so deeply grateful to have had a year like this where I had people like you, Joan, you didn't know I was looking to you as a mentor and, you know, as a therapist by book proxy, but you really were for me. And I just, I'm so glad that I get to thank you for that in person and just know that the work that you're doing is going out farther than you could ever imagine. Thank you. Thank you. That's the, you know, I, the, the truth of it, Lindsay, is I sat on this material for, I was working with it and sitting on it for more than 25 years. Mm -hmm. and, and so I didn't know how it would land when I put it out, but I was very intent on tr trying to put as much into it as I could so mm -hmm. that people, people could, uh, either people could use it as a personal guide to help them change their own lives, which I know uh, has, has made a big difference or that ultimately for clinicians to also be trained in using the approach with uh, other people. So um, that's, uh, and my goal is to, is the big goal is to have it impact millions of lives, so. Yes, well, it's happening. And, you know, it takes decades to make something this powerful and simple that we can actually grab a hold of and right. engage with. Right. And it's so clear and easy to digest and I think that just says a lot about, you know, the mystery of all that's happening inside of us. The fact that you were able to make that so quick, you can put it on one slide. I think that's what you did for the TEDx talk. It's on one slide. It just makes perfect sense. So I just thank you so much for all that you've given thank you. just out of, you know, out of your heart and out of just everything that you've learned, you've wanted other people to learn alongside you and be able to transform their life. And I just, that's such a good use of your time and your education and your blood, sweat, and tears. And I just have so much respect for you. Thank you for coming on the show today and giving us your time. Then thank you so much for having me. So very Absolutely. Thank Thanks everybody for coming to the porch. We'll see you very soon. Thanks everyone.